friends, and welcome to Northern Static, the show where Canadian composers tell us about the state of their art. I'm bassist and composer Pete Johnston. On this show, I talk to composers from a range of musical scenes to find out how they make their music, why it sounds the way it does, and most importantly, what they think we should be listening for when we hear it. In this episode, I talk to composer and percussionist Jermaine Liu. Jermaine's music grows directly out of her physical engagement with objects, some of which are conventional percussion instruments and many of which are not. She's been an active participant in the Toronto creative music community for over a decade, having moved to the city to study at York University, where we met as students. A chat with Jermaine Liu, coming up next on Northern Static. The concept for the show is simple. I sit down and talk with composers about their creative processes, and they play some compositions of their choosing as examples of what they do. Think of it as a group listening session, where the creator of the music is there to guide us through how and why they make the music they do. My guest today is a fascinating composer and musical thinker who is able to craft compelling musical experiences from the most mundane of objects. Jermaine Liu is an in-demand composer and percussionist and regular collaborator with some of my earlier guests on the show, especially Alison Cameron and Nicole Rompersad, with whom she works in the improvising supergroup Curl. As you will hear, her music is intimately connected to the people and objects with whom she chooses to work. You heard Jermaine on the very first episode of this show, playing drums in Ken Ogcroft's Threads Ensemble. She was also featured in my chats with Alison Cameron and Nicole Rompersad, but today she will no longer be a ghost in the machine of Northern Static, as she steps up to the mic to tell her own story. As we always do here at Northern Static, let's start things off with a bit of Jermaine's music to get you warmed up for our discussion. Here's a piece by Jermaine performed by the AIM Toronto Orchestra on the 2011 album Year of the Boar. This is called Cross-Fading Accents. I'm here with Jermaine Liu, composer, improviser, percussionist, jewelry maker, wondrous human. Thanks so much for joining me in your house. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming over to this house. <laughs> thrilled to be here, Jermaine. Thrilled to be here. You and I met at York University, I believe in probably around 2008 or 2009, maybe. Does that make sense? We were both doing graduate degrees there. It's You're very memorable for me, obviously. Oh <laughs> no, I came to see I came to see your show. My show? Your defense. Oh, that was a show. <laughs> <laughs> My PhD defense was a um, yeah, we'll call it a show. We'll call it a show. So we met at York University. Yes. We were both doing graduate degrees of some flavor there. You were doing composition, I believe. I was studying improvised music, and you are also an improviser. Since that time, you've really gone on to play a lot of music and, and play a lot of the big new music events in Toronto and across the country. You seem to be relatively in demand in the new music world, which is a, a real delight to see. So when did you start composing and what was your initial inspiration to start writing your own music? Do you mean when did I start composing or when I started to self-identify as a Composer. You pick. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, the first song I ever composed was a song about an aardvark, and that was in high school. It was on the guitar. Don't worry, I won't play it. And then I started getting interested in composing when I was at the University of Guelph, 
and I studied with Jesse Stewart there. Percussionist Jesse Stewart and composer. An educator and visual artist and really great human being with a big heart. I started studying the drum set with him and I wanted to play music with other people at the time and I think I, I just had a hard time finding musicians or I was asking people that were already committed to other musicians. I had a hard time finding musicians to play music with me. So Jesse suggested that I could focus on maybe writing solo pieces for the drum set and dedicate it to each part of the drum set. So I spent a lot of time just, I would sit there for a couple hours working with just the snare drum or a couple of hours working with just the cymbal and, or just the floor tom. And so those instruments became my partners that I played music with. For my honors project in Guelph, I composed a collection of pieces for each of these parts of the drum set. So that's when I started composing officially. Did Jesse give you some guidance on that? Like, was there particular approaches you were thinking about putting the music together for a snare drum or cymbal or other parts? Or was it kind of intuitively generated? Before I started composing, I attended some of his shows that he would put on, his solo music stuff. And he explored a lot with objects and... I saw some of his scores, which are these scores written in prose. So I was interested in that kind of approach and notation. And he was always interested in exploring with the physical potential of objects and instruments. And I guess seeing where that goes and then also seeing the sonic potential of the instruments. And those two things are the physical and sonic are synonymous. So it seems like what you're saying, that the instruments you play are essential to the kind of composing that you're doing. At that point, like, were you composing stuff separately from the instruments, or really the instruments were firing the decisions you were making? I needed the instruments there to compose, and I think I always started with maybe offering an action in my relationship with whatever instrument I was playing with, and then kind of sitting in with that action and then see where it takes me. And then I would kind of try and go to the next thing from there. So I guess it's like my decision, but also directed by the instrument. So when you say action, do you mean a physical movement, the way you move your body in relation to the instrument? Is that what you mean? Yeah, but also there's an exchange of touch Mm-hmm. Obviously, the drum skin bounces back, for example, feeling that and seeing what happens out of that. Yeah. Hmm. Did you notate stuff? Like, were you writing prose scores, like you say Jesse was, or memorizing them? Or was there a way you're documenting and forming these physical interactions into a score of some kind? I was, but usually it only happened afterwards. So I would explore, for example, the snare drum for a while and then find a pathway and kind of try to repeat that path. And once it became something that I could feel in my body, then I wrote it out. I guess the notation was kind of like a diary entry of my explorations over time with the instrument. And then were you able to read those diary entries and reconstruct more or less what had happened in the moment? I think so. Yeah, but I also hope that it carried the essence of that relationship I had in that experience, but it doesn't have to happen exactly. So the scores function as memory aids, kind of, or cues to certain actions? Yeah, for me, but I also wanted to share those scores with other people and see if maybe they can look at it and see if they can relate to their instrument. Maybe I can make an offering in some way for them. For example, I have this piece with two stones and I found those stones. And for me, that piece 
works the best with those two stones rather than any other stones. And so I hope that maybe someone would pick that score up and find their own two stones and be able to find maybe not exactly the pathway that I found, but something new that can be inspired by that notation. Hmm. So in the notation, you're expecting that someone else other than you could render the piece in some way. I don't expect someone to look at it. <laughs> but, but if they chose to. If they chose to, or if they found it on the ground or something. <laughs> so you're just walking around leaving leaving little bits of your scores around, yeah. hoping that people pick them up. Like, yeah, like I don't Hansel know. and Gretel. Yeah, or like $5 bills or something. Yeah. <laughs> Were there other early inspirations or other music that you listened to that got you into making music or thinking about it beyond just a direct teaching that you had, music that you're emulating or excited about? Well, I didn't go to Guelph for music. I went for hotel and food management only because I saw the word food in the program. Makes sense. <laughs> that's a proper musician behavior though, right? That's, uh, <laughs> that's what musicians do. So it makes sense <laughs> to me. <laughs> but then I, I changed into music. Well, before I went to university, I played music in high school. And I didn't choose to play the drums. I chose to play the clarinet at first when I was younger. This is why I think I no longer play the clarinet, is because I was always the person that squeaked at every concert. So I'm pretty sure this happened, that they sent me to the percussion section of the band. And I don't think there was a percussion section at the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you, beca you became the percussion section. Yeah, this was in elementary school. And then I just... You played clarinet in elementary school? Well, I didn't play clarinet. Sure. You, 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 you attempted to play, you, you held, you squeaked. I squeaked. <laughs> Embarrassing. Should I be saying any of these? Sure, things? I played the saxophone <laughs> in high school. Come on, I know the clarinet. <laughs> you didn't squeak. They didn't send you to the bass section. What was I talking about? Oh, <laughs> sorry. How you became, <laughs> how you how you gravitated to the drums because you loved them so much. Oh, oh, no, they sent me to the drums section or the percussion section, and then I continued to study music when I was in high school because there were several bands. And I remembered this one guy played the drum set. So this was the first time I experienced, I think, a live drum set. It was this guy playing a rock beat for Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to play the drums. <laughs> and who is this guy? Anyway, so then I played drums for a while. But there were also other people that started playing drums in high school. And I realized by the end of high school, all these people that were also playing the drums got like really, really good. They were incredible. But I didn't improve at all. <laughs> so I was just like, that's it. I'm never going to touch the drums ever again. I'm going into hotel and food Famous management. last words. <laughs> So I went into hotel and food management in Guelph. <laughs> I just didn't understand any of the classes or something. There was this microeconomics class that I had to take in hotel and food management. And like the night before the exam, I was still looking at the title page of the textbook and wondering, what does that word even mean? <laughs> So how'd you do on the test? I think I failed. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so how long did you last in hotel and food management? Did you do a, a full year? I did a full year, did poorly. And then I thought, hey, wait a second. I remember music. And I remember enjoying that in high school. So maybe I should try out in the music department and see. And were you listening to stuff? Like, was there pop music, rock music? classical music around that was driving you crazy and getting you excited? I mean, the summer before I decided to go back into music again, 
this person that I knew from my high school asked me to join his band. So I started playing covers. I can't remember what we played. Maybe Radiohead. Not well. Uh, well, my part anyway. <laughs> you just played the Eye of the Tiger beat over every song, <laughs> guess, no matter yes. what song it was? I think that's... Yeah. <laughs> it works on a lot of songs, so it's... You know. Yeah. Yeah, slower, faster, <laughs> louder, softer. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of variables you can, yeah. you, can, you can do with that. Did you find you got on better in the music department than the food department? <laughs> yeah, I did. I met Jesse, and then I met Ellen Waterman, and both of them were leading different ensembles. Jesse was leading an improv ensemble where anyone can drop by and show up and we would improvise and we would talk about it afterwards or he would come in with some ideas and we would try them out and for Ellen's ensemble it was usually the same group of people I think maybe Ellen's ensemble was a class that you could get a credit for I can't remember just the contemporary music ensemble yeah yeah the contemporary music ensemble where it's famous ensemble (laughs) at the University of Guelph Mm. taught by many luminaries and important people over the years. Mm, yeah. Uh, actually, that was where I met Joe Sobara as well. Yeah, percussionist Joe Sobara, leader of the Contemporary Music Ensemble for a spell. So you mentioned this I- improvising ensemble, and clearly so much of what you do now is improvising. Had you done that before, or if that was your sort of first experience getting into improvising, what has attracted you to it? That was my first experience improvising, and it just blew my mind. I was just like, you can turn on a tap and let the water drip in the sink and that could be music. <laughs> but I, I think it was by the, sorry, I'm going back to high school because by the end of high school, I was like really ashamed of being a musician because I always felt like I was not good enough. And I just felt like I had to be this person that had to play in time or keep a beat. And at that point in my life, when I was introduced to improvising, it was such a gift for me to be able to play music without feeling like I'm not good enough. Like without feeling the weight of a certain kind of technical proficiency? Like conventions around virtuosity and the like? Yeah. And especially like after being like rejected by many musicians that I've asked to play with me when I first got into the music program, it was especially nice to be able to be in that space and just show up as I am with whatever ability I have and believe that I have something to offer that I can share with people and they can share something about them with me and we can coexist. Yeah, I I mean, I really appreciate your honesty. But it seems to me there's a parallel to earlier when you're talking about your solo music and you're talking about the action that you take, but then the reaction from the instruments coming back to you that sounds like there's a parallel there with like when there's other improvisers, you're getting feedback from them. Like you play something and they play something in response and and that generates the movement in a way that's quite different than playing a beat or playing a part exactly or something like that that you'll get in classical or rock music. I just feel like really lucky to have met Jesse and Ellen and the people that were in those ensembles. It felt like they were so generous and I think there was also this excitement that we had about this music that is so new to us and like learning how to navigate through it, learning how to make a space for yourself or create space if you can in large group settings and make music together. It's very exciting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah, now the situation is that everybody wants to play with you. <laughs> There's such a community of musicians in Toronto and you're such a key part of it now. So it's nice to hear about those earlier struggles sort of and to see how it's kind of turned out. If any of you listeners out there or ever around Toronto, you have a good chance of seeing Jermaine play the drums in ways that will blow your minds, making music with her friends. So when you compose now, as you're 
process changed much from then? Do you think about it or do anything different? I think it depends on what I'm composing and who I'm composing for, especially if I'm composing for like other instruments either than percussion. I guess I can't always have access to that instrument and then sit there for hours and try and explore with that instrument. And also, depending on the person I'm composing for, it depends if they're interested in my approach to solo percussion music. Do you have an example of writing for a non-percussion instrument, I don't know, trumpet or something, like how you go about communicating your idea for the composition to a player? I've been using graphic notation from time to time, exploring with that. And recently, I composed two pieces for the Array Music Ensemble, and we had our first rehearsal yesterday. So it's two people playing percussion, and one person playing violin, and one person playing cello. And I don't really know the techniques that are required to play the string instruments, and David and Rick, their approach to playing percussion is different from mine. So I guess the way I try to connect and relate is by thinking about elements of Western music, because that's the music that I know the most. So I think about pitch and rhythm and density and texture and dynamics and go from there. So with one of the pieces, I decided that I wanted to explore with long tones and pitch and volume and the quality of how these long tones get played. And then so the way that I know to write them out is by lines. And I made a legend of how what kind of lines represent what kinds of sounds. And depending on where the line is on the score, that would represent pitch. So very simple ideas with that piece. And then the other piece, I wanted to focus on ostinatos. So repetition of various sound articulations strung together. And so that piece is based on dots. And I kind of created this drawing game. I would draw dots with different colors, and each color represents each musician. For example, if I draw a green dot, and Rick is the green dot on the piece of paper, he would play a sound articulation in that space. But if I draw another green dot or two more green dots, he would play three sound articulations in that space. If I drew lines to connect all those dots to make a triangle, now he's playing it in an ostinato. Or if I draw a green dot and then a red dot, red would be another musician, and then I connect those two dots together. Now they are both responsible for a hocketing type ostinato thing. That's kind of what I've been working on. Yeah, so they're sort of graphic scores, but slightly more specific than looking at a Rothko painting and playing the painting like you are giving some performance directions on the scores. Mm -hmm. Those are some pieces that are coming up that we don't have the opportunity to hear just right now, but maybe we do have the opportunity to hear a piece right now that's already been recorded. Which one would you like to play for us first? How about Za? Za. All right. Can you tell us first who's playing on it or what the instrumentation is? So Joe Sorbara is playing and Mark Zerwinski and me. And the instrumentation is, I think they're called pizza flips. It's like a metal circle with a wooden handle. We each have one of those. And then we're also holding a bow in the piece each. So three bows and three pizza flips. And we're immersing the pizza flips into a large bucket of water as we bow them. All right, so this is za.
All right. That was Za. So what can you tell us about it? What's going on? Why did you want to bring that one in? Hmm. I guess I wonder why I suggested this piece. I think it brings me back to that memory of playing it with Joe and Mark and being at that concert together and putting it together and playing it for the audience there at that time at the music gallery. And I think that's why. I know that sounds... I'm not talking about the actual piece, but it just reminded me moments like those are so incredible because you see all these people in this large community coming together for an event and they're so supportive of three people playing with a pizza flip. <laughs> but I think it's so beautiful that there's such a large community here in Toronto of people that just love all the little parts and the big parts, like the range of all the different things that are here, the art and the music. Well, I'm curious, listening to it, what information did you give to the other two players to make this piece what it is? What did you convey to them? I think from what I remember, the score started with us bowing in unison timing and bringing the pizza flip into the water in unison speed. And then we explore that movement. And then after that, we were trying to keep actually a pulse in our head together, a unison pulse, and playing within that pulse. But because of the nature of the sound and the nature of the instrument, eventually it was just too hard to keep that pulse. And I think I always like being in that space of trying to maybe have some kind of control or the effort of making something work, but welcoming it not to work and welcoming the objects to come to life with or without me. I'd, yeah. Right, like you're setting up a system that you can't actually do in a robotic computer kind of way, but we can try, and then the human frailties, you're welcoming into it, because, you know, three people can't very easily keep the same tempo, though outwardly counting together. Discrepancies are going to start to arise, and you're welcoming those discrepancies into the music. Mm -hmm. Interesting way to think about it, and a really fun piece to listen to, for sure. You brought along another piece, too, that's quite a bit longer, so the second piece is actually two pieces put together. But in the recording process, I decided that I would play one piece and it would merge into the other piece because I felt like it was one together. But it started out being two pieces. So Gu Zhang is this Chinese zither instrument. And the way I play the snare drum, I start with a snare drum inverted and I put a mallet, a stick under the snare wires so that it becomes a bridge for the snare wires. And I start playing it as if I was playing a zither instrument. So that's why I called that piece snare jang or gu jang. And then the second piece is called The Symbol Speaks. And it's a piece dedicated to this very specific symbol and my interaction with the symbol and also the interaction of the symbol with a floor tom. And that symbol, it was Mark's symbol. And I guess he had it for a long time and we moved and it disappeared. And then it reappeared. And at the time, that was a year of like drummers bowing symbols. Every concert I go to, like a drummer is always bowing a symbol. And I would go home and I was like, I would try to use a bow and bow whatever symbol was around and it never worked. And I was just like, I'll never be able to do this. And then I found this symbol and I bowed it and it just started to sing. And I don't know what it was, but that symbol taught me how to bow it. And then since then I was able to do this technique on other symbols. <laughs>
Snare Zhang, the symbol speaks. What do you want to tell us about this piece? The Snare Zhang piece. I don't play that piece anymore, only because there's like a screaming part in there. And the last two times I played it, I got really, really, really sick from the screaming. So the first time I played that piece, I remember I had this like throat thing 
and then like before I went in to play the piece and then after I played it, I completely lost my voice after that for a very long time. And then after I've lost my voice, I got really, really sick. And for maybe two, three years, most of the time I was sick. And then I got better over the years and I tried that piece again and I got really sick again. I could perform that piece without the screaming part, but I feel like the screaming part to me is like the climactic moment of the piece. I don't want to do it without that scream. And I don't want to do the scream unless I started studying screaming lessons. I guess in relation to that, not needing to play those pieces anymore. Both the snare drum piece and the cymbal speaks piece kind of came from that interest that I have that started when I was studying with Jesse, where I was trying to kind of explore all of the physical possibilities on those instruments and seeing where that goes. And at the time, I thought, oh, in order for me to find all the physical possibilities of these instruments, I need to push myself. It's only fair for me to do that. If I'm going to do that to the instrument, I'm going to do that to myself. So I did this thing where I thought, oh, if I just repeat this gesture until my arms feel like they're going to fall off and then move on to the next gesture, I've been true to the instrument or I've been true to myself and I've truly made that instrument speak. So you want to get as much as you give to the instrument. Yeah, something like that. And uh, episode with Paul Newman, he talks about just figuring out something to play on the saxophone until he is physically exhausted from doing that and then trying to keep doing it after that (laughs) and seeing what happens. I can't do that anymore because over the years, my body is just not the same as it was and I feel the pain and yeah, I don't want to do that to myself. And I also feel like maybe that's not the only way to, I guess, honor the instrument. I always thought that that was the way to do it. Well, it's interesting because playing the drums take a pretty big physical toll on anybody anyway, even if you're not thinking the way you are about it. Just about every drummer I know has tendonitis or back problems or hearing or, you know, all that stuff. It's going to take a toll no matter what. So pushing it the way you're talking about isn't all that sustainable if you want to keep playing the drums. And I also want like a more gentle approach in my life in general. Yeah, well, I think we can wind down a little bit from there after hearing that piece, but I have a question I like to ask at the end of the show always. Are there any musical ideas you really would like to do but haven't been able to realize yet for various reasons, be that financial or just in terms of space? Any big dreams you got of something that you would really love to do if you could? I think my dream is to be happy, and I don't know what that means. My dream is to be happy as a human being. And does music play a part of that? I think so. Music and all the other things in my life. So you want to keep playing? I don't know if I always want to keep playing. (laughs) Sorry, I don't mean... I don't think I want it to end. I don't think I want to stop playing music. But I definitely think there are periods where I don't want to play music. Periods in my life. Or days. Or... I don't want to listen. Is that because the external stressors of a life in music or simply to clean out your ears? I think both. I felt a lot of pressure for a long time to be a musician. I remember this one time I was at a concert and Hamid Drake was playing and he said something. I don't know exactly the words he used, but he said that he was a human being who happens to play music. I think about that a lot all the time. And I think probably only in the last year or two that I feel like I understand what that means. Be a human being that happens to enjoy music or happen to play percussion or an object. Well, Jermaine, uh, thanks so much for sharing your music and your story with us. Really appreciate your honesty and your wisdom and thanks so much for letting me into your house not many people do thanks for coming here and using the secret knock don't tell anyone what the secret knock is i won't that will not be listed in the show notes
<laughs> but links to Jermaine's music will be in there. Thanks, Jermaine. Thank you. That's the show, friends. Hope you liked it. You can find out more about Jermaine and listen to her music on her SoundCloud page, which I will link to in the show notes. As always, the content and sound quality of the show is the sole responsibility of me, Pete Johnston. I had production and editing help from Julian Mulia. Thanks for that, Julian. If you like the show, please subscribe to get my very occasional episodes and maybe rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts if you can spare the time. Also, if you could tell all your friends to have a listen, I would appreciate that too. For some reason, I'm not on any social media, so I'm counting on you modern people out there to spread the word. As usual, we'll let my guest play us out. Here's a piece by Curl, which features Jermaine with former guests of the show, Alison Cameron and Nicole Rompersad. This is called Kapow, from their 2015 album, Friends. Until next time, thanks for listening.